You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. If, uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet before, my name is Sam. I serve as a pastor here at CA Church. And uh, so, so good to be with you this morning and to get to share from Scripture. Today... Um, we come to the very end of this sermon series that we've been in, I, I think since the end of, just after Easter. So several months we've been in this together through the spring and summer, going through section by section, Jesus' most famous teaching, his most famous sermon is commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And throughout the sermon, if, if you were here or if you've read it before, I think you'd probably agree that Jesus has shared in this sermon some profound ideas. He's also shared some really provocative ideas, especially in the cultural moment that we find ourselves in today. But, but here's the reality is no sermon or speech or piece of written literature has had a greater effect on humanity, on, on all of history over the last 2,000 years, but even specifically the last few hundred years in the West than this sermon from Jesus. And today we come to the conclusion. We come to his final 130 words. Yes, I counted them. So would you stand with me for the reading of scripture? We're going to look at Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24. Matthew 7, starting in verse 24. If you don't have a Bible, it'll also be on the screen. Here's what it says. It says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You can take a seat. Well, we have access to more information today than any other time in human history. There has never been a time where human beings have had more information available to them at our fingertips than the era that we find ourselves living in today. Actually, sociologists refer to this moment, this age, as the information age. And they place the start of the information age in, in roughly the 1970s, mid to late 1970s. But especially in the last decade, decade and a half, the, the progress of the spreading of ideas and information has moved very quickly with the progress of like the search engine and voice-activated search engines like Alexa and Google Home and more recently ChatGBD. Like if my four-year-old daughter Kinsley has a question about literally anything, all she has to do is shout from, uh, from the couch just to say, hey Google, and ask her question. Whatever, maybe it's like, um, what does a walrus sound like? <laughs> So she asks her question, and in a matter of seconds, she has her answer. John Mark Comer, who's a Christian author and Bible teacher, he did some really helpful work kind of synthesizing the progress and development that's taken place over this last 2,000 years, specifically as it relates to the sharing of information and ideas. And so Comer points out that there's something that's, that's referred to as the knowledge doubling curve. Has anyone heard of this before? The knowledge doubling curve? A few people. This is, is something that a guy named Buckminster Fuller talks about. He's this ridiculously smart guy. He's an American architect, systems theorist, inventor, philosopher. Anyways, he calculated 
that from the day of Jesus' birth, the first century, it took 1,500 years for what there was to know, for the cumulative knowledge of humanity to double, okay? 1,500 years. From that point, it took 250 years to double again, and then it doubled every 100 years after that point up until World War II. After World War II, for, for various reasons, the cumulative knowledge of humanity doubled every 25 years up until the 90s, whereas it was said to double every 12 to 13 months. And now, it's widely believed that the knowledge available to humanity doubles, does anyone want to guess? Every 12 to 13 hours. And so if you were born in the first century when Jesus was born, it took 1,500 years for what there was to know uh, to double. If you were born this morning at 6 a.m., it will double before dinner. <laughs> this is the world we live in. So, so, so here's the bottom line. We have access to more information than ever before in human history. But that's not all. Let me continue this train of thought for just a moment. There's a guy named Tom Friedman. He's a political commentator and a writer for the New York Times. He writes about what he calls the age of acceleration. He says that due to technology, access to information, the spread of ideas is moving faster than we actually have the ability to keep up with. And so what that does in the human psyche is it makes most of us struggle with this kind of at least low-grade anxiety where it feels like I can never quite keep up with everything that's going on, whether it be the, so, the, the social justice stuff or the world events or, or what's going on here or there, the tragedies and all these different initiatives. And, and I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but I can definitely relate. I think it's safe to say that most of us are overwhelmed by the quantity of information that there is to engage with. And then thirdly, and this is an idea that's from another author, his name is Neil Postman. He writes about something that he calls the information to action ratio. He argues that we hear so much information all the time, every single day, both a combination of really useless information and also really important information. But for the most part, we're not actually able to do very much with what we hear. For example, you know, most of us, we hear about tragedies and world events like, for example, the, the fires in Maui or the war in Ukraine or the disaster that's going on in Iran. And, and most of us hear that information, but we can't actually do anything about it. And so what that tends to create within the human psyche is this ability to hear lots of information, to even be moved by a lot of that information, but then do nothing with it as the phrase goes, in one ear and out the other. Or as Neil Postman, he says, we have this very low information to action ratio. But when it comes to Jesus' teaching on, on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, he says very clearly that this, this in one ear and out the other, or this very low action, information to action ratio, it will never do as we follow Jesus. Let's look at, again at our text, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus, he starts the conclusion of his message by saying, therefore. And uh, in, in other words, what Jesus is saying is in light of everything that I've said up until this point in this sermon, uh, about what it looks like to, to live out the gospel in everyday life, how, 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 how the, the gospel gets a hold of us and it begins to change us. Jesus talks in this sermon before this conclusion. He talks about wealth and he talks about sexuality and nonviolence and judging others. He talks about anxiety. He talks about prayer and he paints this beautiful picture of what it looks like when, when humanity truly flourishes. So he says, in light of all of that, the stuff we've been walking through week after week after week this summer, he says, in light of that, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine, and I wanna pause here for a moment, 
Because I think it's important to say that hearing the word, the word of God, is incredibly important. Like hearing the words of Jesus is the start of discipleship. And Jesus, as well as many other biblical authors, will point to the importance of hearing truth. For example, you could look at at, uh, Paul the Apostle. He writes in Romans chapter 10, How shall one believe in him who they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Later on, Paul will go on to say, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So hearing the gospel in various forms, whether it be preached on a Sunday morning or classes on Tuesday night or listening to the YouVersion app on transit or, or reading scripture in the morning with your favorite cup of pour over coffee in hand, whatever it is, hopefully it's a combination of all those things. Hearing the words of scripture is the starting place. Scripture is active and and living, and when we hear it preached or when we read those words, inspired by the Holy Spirit, it, it has transformative power. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. But right here in our text, Jesus is about to say that hearing alone is not enough. He says, therefore, anyone who hears these words and what? And puts them into practice. According to Jesus, there is a living out to our faith, to following him. Hearing is where it starts, but contrary to public thought, he actually does expect us to do something with what he says. Karl Barth, who's a Swiss theologian, he says, the goal of theology is not to get it known, but to get it lived. But the challenge is, and to throw back to where we started just a few moments before, um, specifically in our day and age, we have access to so much teaching. We have access to so many ideas and so much information. There's no shortage of good ideas on the internet or wherever else. And we've been conditioned to listen to that information, be it articles or tweets or video clips or or information in any form, to hear really compelling stuff, even to be moved by that information that we hear and then do nothing with it. Our information to action ratio is at an all-time low. And so this teaching from Jesus that we come to this morning is, is so relevant in our day and age. We have this low information to action ratio. And, and I see that play out in my own life in big and small ways. For example, I am so aware of the importance of good diet and exercise. <laughs> I, have, I have friends who are personal trainers. I have friends who are dietitians. I have watched videos online. I have read lots of different articles. I've even been to the gym for seasons of time and seen gains during that time. Or I've been on a diet. I've, I've committed to keto or whatever it is for a period of time. And I've seen that, that eating well actually does work. My issue isn't knowledge. My issue is doing the work that will lead to better health and fitness and the kind of physique that I long to embody. I'm pretty sure at this point, I I don't, like, I know enough about what I need to do. More knowledge isn't going to help me lose 30 pounds. What I really need to do is get myself to the gym, is stop eating after 7 p.m., you know, all the stuff. Jesus says, it's not enough to just hear my words. While while, While that's important, Like showing up on Sunday mornings and and hearing the Sermon on the Mount unpacked. That's the starting place. That's good. We need that because faith comes by hearing. But it's not enough just to hear it and even to resonate with it and to take good notes. The difference between the wise person and the foolish person comes after we've heard what Jesus says. After we've heard his words that lead to life. After we've heard what is true, then what are we going to do with it? And this is where Jesus transitions in, in this conclusion into a parable, which is, uh, it's essentially a story, a word picture or a metaphor that, that he'll use to help us understand what exactly it is he's getting at here. 
If you grew up in church, you may have learned this story on the flannel graph. Any 90s kids, Sunday school kids in the room? There's a few of us I see. Good, good, good. Um, here's how the parable goes. Look at, look at verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like, and this is where the parable starts, a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. I want to take a moment to compare and contrast those two builders, because while there's one primary difference between what Jesus refers to as the, the, the wise builder and the foolish builder, there's also a lot of similarities between the two. Like, for starters, both builders had intention to build a house. They both set out with the same desire to build something beautiful that they could live in and that they could enjoy. Another similarity is they both received an instruction manual. They both, to quote Jesus, heard these words of mine. Um, I don't know about you, but I struggle to follow instructions. Anybody else? Does, does anybody here like building IKEA furniture? Show of hands. I love IKEA furniture. Like, I love the aesthetic and how inexpensive it is compared to other brands and all those sorts of things. I just, I hate building it. And, uh, and, and here's why, because there's, there's all these different screws and there's all these different like bolts and stuff. And to me, a lot of it looks the same, but it's not the same. And, and so if you, if you miss, if you use this bolt at the beginning and you needed it at the end, well, then you're in a lot of trouble and you're probably going to build this shelf in a way that at some point you're, you're not going to have the stuff you need and then it's going to be off a little bit. Nothing that's ever happened to me before. Or, or you'll put your clothes into it later and, and the clothes will fall. Again, nothing that's ever I've experienced. But the way I like to build stuff, be it IKEA furniture or whatever else, is I like to look at the picture on the box and then I like to put it together. <laughs> but the problem with that method is that it almost never works because there's these things that are beneath the exterior of the product that are critical if that dresser is going to actually last and hold up. Uh, so back to the parable, one, one builder follows the instruction, another builder looks at the box, kind of like me, and says, no, I could do that. Thirdly, they both end up building a house. And there's nothing in the text that would suggest that on the exterior there was any noticeable differences between the two houses. We, we, we can imagine that they both probably had similar windows and they probably had similar siding and maybe a, a porch or a deck in the back. They probably looked identical on the outside. Maybe they were even standing side by side. Like we're not talking about a beautiful home on Pleasant Side and then some house in a, in a, shack, a shack somewhere. No, these are two homes on the exterior that look the same. Number four, they both experience a great storm. Both homes were subject to the same rain and winds and floodwaters. The tornado that swept through their town hit both homes. Okay, those are the things that are the same about the two builders. Here's the difference between the two. The only difference between the two builders, between the two houses, but this is a critical difference, is their foundation, what they built their house on. My, uh, my friend Silas is in construction. He's a site super for a, a construction company, and right now they're building an apartment building in Langley. 
And so um, in April, I'd, I'd been with Silas. We were talking about work, what I was doing, what he was doing. And he showed me a picture of where their construction site was at at that point. And truthfully, it was a really unimpressive picture. It was just a picture of a big hole. <laughs> and so he showed me this picture because they were getting ready to lay the foundation and to do all these different things that they're about to do. And, uh, and then I saw Silas's last holiday Monday, just last week. And, uh, and so again, we got talking about work and, oh, how's things going? And I was like, oh, show me a picture of where you guys are at now. And I was really surprised to see that they still have not gotten anything finished above ground level. They've still been working on all the foundations and they've been getting all their permits and, and, and the rebar structural stuff and, 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 and they have to make sure that the, the concrete that they pour meets the inspections of the engineer and all those sorts of things. All that to say, I get why the builder thought, I'll just skip that step. Like, like if, if, I, if, if I look at the picture of the home, it's not gonna look any different whether I build the foundation or not. And unless a storm comes, which like when was the last time a storm came anyway? Like 70, 80, 90 years ago? What's the chance a storm is going to come now? And so unless a storm comes, there's not really going to be any difference. I'll take my chances. I'll go for speed and the best bang for my buck. I'll, I'll save a lot of time and energy. And, and, and perhaps I'll even be done building the entire house before this guy even finishes his foundation. As with all of Jesus' parables, this story isn't really about a lack of concrete and, and rebar beneath a home. Jesus is using this metaphor to, to point to what we build our lives on. What's the foundation of our lives? What are we building on? And so if we go back and compare these two builders, but instead of contrasting two literal builders, think of them as, as building their lives, I think there's some really important things that we can get from it. First is this realization that we are all builders. That all of us in the room, whether you're, you're here today and you're a Christian or you're an atheist or an agnostic or you follow some other religion or no religion at all, we are all building a life aimed at our vision of the good life, of what is good. All people are building a life. But here's something I came to realize specifically about this parable as I was studying this last week. That in this specific parable, Jesus actually isn't contrasting a Christian and a non-Christian. Like, I always thought that this was a story about somebody who, who was a, a good Christian who went to church and listened to Christian music and did all the good Christian stuff and someone who wasn't, who either wasn't a Christian or followed some other religion or was absorbed by the world following a false god or whatever. But that's actually not it. Jesus isn't contrasting a Christian and a non-Christian, a follower of Jesus and a follower of like Christopher Hitchens or Joe Rogan or Allah or whatever. If you look closer, you see that the wise builder and the foolish builder, they're both in close proximity to Jesus' teachings. Like, look at verse 24. Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. Verse 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man. This isn't contrasting one person who hears Jesus' teachings and one who doesn't. These are two people who are sitting side by side in church both hearing Jesus' words that lead to life, both listening to his teachings on what it looks like to be a citizen of this soon and coming kingdom, the difference wasn't in the hearing. The difference is in what they did with what they heard. Did they actually build their lives on that truth? Like, did Jesus' teachings on forgiveness, did, they act, did that actually change anything for them? Did what he say about caring for the poor and the marginalized, the refugee, did it actually cause them to walk across the cul-de-sac and invite that new family from Afghanistan over for dinner? Did his teachings on prayer, did it even make them consider carving out time in their day to be alone with the Father, or did they listen to his words and then just kind of file them away as something that was interesting, 
maybe even compelling, important, but not something that I'm actually gonna do anything with. And here's why this matters. Because Jesus says that a storm is coming. And when that storm comes, your foundation, what you've built your life on will either make you or break you. He says that a storm is coming. Notice he doesn't say if a storm comes. He says when the storm comes. Most Bible scholars agree that what Jesus is talking about here when he talks about the storm is, is, is twofold. It's, uh, he's talking about, when he talks about storms in this parable, he's referring to both storms that come in this life, what a lot of theologians refer to as the hard knocks of life that we all encounter. And he's also talking about a storm that will come at the end of our lives. He's talking about both, both the hard stuff that we'll encounter in the here and now, be it cancer or abuse or relational breakdown or loss. He's also talking about a much greater storm that's to come at the end of our lives, commonly referred to as, as final judgment. I wanna share a few thoughts on both. Because there's some dangerous teaching that's kind of all permeated the church, essentially saying that if you follow Jesus, if you give your life to him, then everything's gonna be easy for you. That if you give your life to him, that, that everything will go the way that you think that it should. You'll be healthy and happy and rich and, and, and you'll never go through hardships or troubles, that you will always prosper in every situation. And that teaching sounds great. And that teaching sells a ton of books. But the problem with it is that it's not actually true. In John 16, Jesus tells us actually the opposite. He says, in this life, you will have many troubles. See, going through hard stuff in this life is, is actually just part and parcel with the human condition. It's the reality of living amidst this broken world that we find ourselves in. And Jesus is ruthlessly honest. All throughout the Gospels, he points to this reality. Even right here in this parable, he points to the fact that the storm will inevitably come for both the foolish and the wise. Did you catch that? That the storm didn't only come and beat against the foolish man's house. The storm came for both the foolish and the wise. And I feel like maybe that's important to say that Jesus never promises a life without storms. That being said, he does promise that he'll be with us in the midst of it, that he will see us through. And what I've found in my own life and in the lives of, of those around me is that oftentimes in the midst of great, life's greatest trials, in the midst of great, life's greatest storms, that's when we really discover the strength of our foundation. That's when we discover what, it, what, it, what we actually have built our lives on. There's, um, there's a family that goes to our church that experienced great loss this last spring. And uh, pretty close to the due date of their beautiful little baby, they found out that, that, the, that the child had some really serious health conditions and, and wasn't gonna be able to live maybe at all or at least not for very long. And this family, they prayed, and, and, and many people in our church surrounded this family and prayed alongside of them and begged God for a miracle. And eventually the baby was born. And things were looking really hopeful for a little while. Things were seeming like they were turning around, and he was so cute, such a special little kid. And he lived actually longer than was initially projected and expected. But after 27 short days, this beloved baby boy, he went to be with Jesus. And as I sat together in my office with this family planning their, their, their baby's funeral, something no parent should ever have to go through, I was so blown away by the strength that I observed in both of them, their resilient faith and their trust in God amidst walking through hell. 
And I remember they shared these words that have stuck with me even to this day. They said, I don't know how people do this. I don't know how they go through these kind of storms without Jesus, without hope in the resurrection, without the hope to come. See, this family, they still grieved. They experienced great sorrow, and they're still experiencing a ton of emotions and pain. But they also have this resolve. They have this unshakable foundation. And I've I've gotten to watch it up close. They grieved, but they grieved as ones who had great hope. Hope of resurrection life. Hope of of an age to come where there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. And, and, And the people in their world, they kept asking this family, like, why are you doing so well amidst all that you're going through? The doctors and the hospital staff and their friends and family even came up as I was there at their, the, the funeral. How could you be so strong? Why are you so secure amidst all that you're walking through? And the only answer that they could give is, is Jesus. They had built their life on this solid foundation and trust in him. And Jesus says, when we build our life on the rock, that even though the world may be crashing in around us, we can have this sense of security, knowing that even the worst thing that happens to us in this life, even the worst thing that happens is not the last thing that will happen. That even death is not the end. For the Christian, the, the end, the final word is life, life forever with Jesus. And so in our text, Jesus points to the, the incredibly difficult storms that many of us, all of us, will walk through. He says, when we build our life on the firm foundation that is him, that, that, that you know, things may, may not go the way that we always thought that they were going to go, but we will make it through. But there's also a second kind of storm that Jesus points to in this text. And this is an uncomfortable one. This storm is, is commonly referred to as final judgment. And we don't talk a lot about heaven and hell on Sunday mornings, but here's the reality. There is a day coming for each and every one of us Every human will stand before God and at one point when we breathe our last breath, we'll have to give an account for our lives. After we breathe our last breath on earth, we'll stand before God and our whole lives will be there in front of us. And we'll either hear, as Jesus is gonna go on and say later on in Matthew, we'll either hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, come and enter my rest. Or we'll hear, depart from me, you evildoer. I never knew you. Right here in the conclusion of Jesus' sermon, he says that that moment is coming. He's laying out this pretty intense warning at the end of his sermon, and he's saying, we should actually build our whole lives with the end in mind, with what's coming in our view, with this reality that we will stand before God. And in that moment, the facade will be gone, that the projections of ourselves, the mass, the curated social media feed, there won't be anything to hide behind in that moment. All of it will wash away in the storm and the truth will be revealed. Did we build our house, our life on the rock or did we build on the sand? Did we surrender to Jesus as Lord and actually do what he said or did we do what seemed right in our own eyes? As we move towards the close, I want to dial in a little bit more on what it means to actually build our house on the rock. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to just those last few verses of Matthew chapter seven, uh, verse 28 and 29. It's also gonna be on the screen. But these verses come right after Jesus has finished preaching. So he's just, he said his bit about the, the, the solid rock and the sand and building our house. He said his final words. And as he does, I imagine a hush just fell over the place, that hill where he was giving the sermon. 
And verse 28 says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd was amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. It says he taught as one who had authority. And I think those words are so important because as we come to the close, not only of this message, but of this entire series that we've been in for several months, if we're gonna build our life on the rock, so to speak, then we're forced to make a decision. What will we do with the preacher on the mount? What do we make, not just of his teachings, but what do we make of him? Because if this Jesus is just a good teacher, if he's just a guy that walked the earth 2,000 years ago and had some good ideas about what it means to be human, then, you know, then let's, let's take what he says with a grain of salt and apply his teachings as it's convenient. Like, if we like it, let's work it in, but let's cut the parts that cause too much friction in our culture. And there's a lot of people in the world that take that approach to following Jesus, who are, who are fans of Jesus, who, who like what Jesus has to say on certain issues, just like there's lots of fans of Buddha and Gandhi, and that's fine. If he's just another good teacher, then pull the quotations that you like and, and opt out of the rest. But if he really is the one who has authority, if he really is Lord of all, if he's king, if he is who he says that he is, God in the flesh, well, then that changes everything. Then we have to make a decision. Will we come under the lordship and obey him, the parts that we understand and we resonate with and the parts that we're still questioning? Will we surrender to his authority and commit to his vision of the good life or will we just go our own way? Because Jesus makes it really clear, if we're gonna follow him, then he actually expects us to do what he said. See, to build our lives on the rock is to build our lives on the teachings of Jesus, to build our lives on all the stuff that we find throughout the Sermon on the Mount, and then to begin to embody it, to allow it to seep deep into our bones and change us from the inside out. To build our house on the rock is to build our life on, on the Sermon on the Mount, but more than that, it's to build our life on the preacher on the Mount, on Jesus of Nazareth, on this one who, who, would, who would live these teachings that, he's, that he just shared, that he would live them perfectly, who a few short years after preaching these words would go to the cross and die a death in our place, be raised to new life, conquering Satan, sin, and death, and would make a way for us, an imperfect humanity, to be made right with a perfect and holy God. To build our house on the rock is to build our life on the one who doesn't leave us on our own to try to figure out how to live this out, how to do it, but sent his spirit to empower us to really become these kind of kingdom people that he talks about. See, if we leave this place today and, and, and what we think to ourselves is, okay, I'm just going to try to grit my teeth and, and try harder to be a good Christian. I'm going to try really hard to, to live out these teachings from Jesus and not to mess up, to be this new humanity that he talks about, then we will fail miserably, I promise. But this is where we circle back to where we started a few months ago. It's that very first beatitude, Jesus' opening words of this sermon. Because if we're gonna build our lives on him, then the first step is to come to him poor in spirit, acknowledging our great need, acknowledging that, that we actually have nothing to bring to the table. We're empty-handed and desperately in need of his grace that even in our best efforts, we continue to fall short. And yet we want to follow him. I know I do. It's from this place of honesty and, and humility that we begin to he begins to transform us day by day into this new humanity. 
He empowers us by his spirit to become the kind of people who actually look like him, a people whose foundation is in the rock. I wanna take some time to pray as we close. And so if you're comfortable all across this room, would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? And uh, as, I was, as I was preparing this morning and thinking through this message and the gatherings that would be happening throughout the day, I, uh, I was just thinking about a few different groups of people that I wanna pray for this morning. I think that there might be people in this room today who, who might be hearing about this Jesus for the very first time. Or maybe you've heard about Jesus before, but this is the first time that you're like, oh, that's what it means to build my, my life on the rock. That's what Jesus did. He died in my place. This Jesus we've been singing about, this Jesus I've been talking about. And so that's you today. If you say, you know what, I, I didn't come in here a Christian, but I want to build my house on the rock. I want to build my life on a firm foundation that is Jesus the Lord. Then in a moment, I want to pray for you. And it would be awesome if later you would connect with one of our leaders and allow them to speak life into you and to help you start your journey. There's, there's another group of people that I, um, that I was thinking about this morning. And that is those who, you know, as you hear these words about the, the, the rock foundation or the sand, if you're honest, you say, I think my foundation has actually been quite sandy. <laughs> like I've been hearing the words of Jesus for a long, long time. I've been part of this church. I've been hearing what Jesus has to say. But I have not put it into practice. I have not been living out the way that leads to life. You know, I think all of us in this room at some capacity are in that category. And so my prayer for those who would say, yeah, that's true of me, is come Holy Spirit and breathe on us again. Come and do what only you can do. Help us in our weakness to be transformed into your image. And then the third group that I was thinking about this morning is, uh, is those who are in the midst of like a crazy storm. I wonder if there might be people here who are just in the thick of it. And you say, hey, I actually don't feel like I'm standing on a firm foundation. It feels like everything's just been ripped out from underneath me. I want to pray for you today that Jesus would be so near to you, so close to you, and would sustain you in the midst of life's trials and tribulations. So Lord, we come to you this morning, a people who are so aware of our need for you, a people who are so aware that we come with very little in our hands, but we come poor in spirit, saying, God, we want to follow you, but we need you. We need your spirit. Come and help us. I pray for that person here today who might be saying, no, I wanna, I wanna start this journey. I wanna start to build my house on the rock. I pray that you give them great courage and boldness for the steps that are ahead as they surrender their life to you. The scripture says that it's as easy as declaring Jesus is Lord believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you're saved. That's the start of the journey. That's where you begin to build your house on the rock. And so if that's you, you can just in your heart say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to build my, my life on you. Also pray for that person who's in the midst of the storm. Oh God, would you sustain them? 
God, would you bring comfort? Thank you that you describe the Spirit as the comforter. And so Holy Spirit, we just say, come and be that comforter. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash rail city to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.